So I'm new uh, to, to Red Rocks, and now I'm new to you, and I got to be real with y'all. When, when you meet people for the first time or it feels new, I get so nervous because people do the weirdest. You're at the 11 o'clock. I'll keep it a buck with you. They do the dumbest things when you meet people for the first time, right? They just say stuff that you're like, do you, do you know what you just said? For instance, when you meet people for the first time and they say things like, hey, man, you know who you look like? Like, it's never a good idea. Like, I'm never like, oh, I can't wait to hear, right? I've never gotten Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, that's never happened, right? Number one, if you're going to be that person and go like, hey, do you know who you look like? First of all, why don't you give them a chance to respond? Like, do that. Because if they say Matthew McConaughey, you shouldn't say Owen Wilson. Like, let them go with it, right? I mean, I've gotten things like Shrek before. You know, it's like... Bro, you were the lightest. You laughed way too hard. I'm offended. <laughs> I'm only preaching to them now, okay? Um, but recently, I'm hanging out in Denver, and one of my buddies who we've met over the last couple of weeks, okay, yes, Shrek and Donkey, I know. Um, I, I, I was meeting this guy like, for you know, the last three or four weeks, and backstage, he goes, hey, man, you know who you remind me of? I was like, oh. I was like, no, man, who? Smile real big, and he's like, well, have you ever seen that cartoon, Inside Out? <laughs> yeah. He goes, well, you kind of look like the anger emoji on Inside Out. I was like, brother, if I didn't before, I'm about to now, right? <laughs> I, I, there's just certain things that, like, trigger you, right? Like, it upset you. Like, tolerable to some people, but just, like, will make you mad. You know what I mean? Like other people are like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Like dudes, every dude in the room, you know this to be true. Every man knows this. There's like this one word that another man can call you that makes you want to fight. If another man calls you the B word, buddy, you're like, bruh. Me personally, like I'm holy and hood. I will lay hands, but I will throw hands. Like that's just how I'm built. I don't care if you call me buddy, champ, sport. Like I, I don't like any of it, right? So this weekend, I thought we would talk about in this series, Alive and Free, Anger. Um, and here's the reason why, is there is something inside of all of us. There's this hardwired emotion of anger. But for some of us, it just triggers different things. Like something that will set one person off doesn't necessarily set the other person off. And, and to really talk about anger, I want to talk about it from this perspective today of big mad. Big mad. There's young people who say, I'm big mad. There's certain things that happen that cause you to escalate or accelerate in your emotions. We've been talking about the scripture all throughout the series. Uh, Pastor Doug, when we started talking about live and free, said, man, we gotta go to John 10.10 in 10, the second half of the scriptures. And John 10.10 10 says this, that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, or overflowing, or abundant life. That means for everything that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus came to give you that and so much more than you even anticipated or expected. Well, I believe that anger is one of those things that when we don't put it in its right priority or position, it will steal our peace, it will kill our joy, and it will destroy our hope in lasting and healthy relationships. Uh, Paul, the early church leader, when he was writing to the early church in Ephesus, he was writing about some things they had to get rid of and unload and unpack from their community. And he thought that it was so important, this topic of anger. He said, now get rid of all anger, all wrath, and all bitterness. This is so important 
to recognize this. Now, some of you in the room, you're going, man, this guy's from Alabama. He hasn't done his research. Like, anger is a human emotion. It was given to us by God. Hold on. Okay, so I decided I needed to talk to a friend or two. Uh, there's an old show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And there's this one thing, a lifeline called Phone a Friend. I did that. So I phoned a friend. I phoned two friends. One is a clinical psychologist, and the other has two master's degrees, one in divinity and one in counseling. I said, guys, you got to help me understand this because I know that there's a righteous anger that Scripture talks about. I know that there's a place for the human emotion, but there's also so much destruction that happens in relationships, in, in self-care when it comes to the area of anger. Like, I've always heard it said, and you've probably heard it too, that anger is a secondary emotion. Most of us have heard that. I said, but I don't feel like it's always secondary. They said, well, that's actually true. The anger can be a secondary or a primary emotion. I'd heard the young people say, say less. I said, say more, okay? I said, help me understand if it can be primary or secondary. Is that based on the person, the past, history, chemistry, circumstances, surroundings? Like, I don't understand. They said, well, James, it's very simple. To go from secondary to primary, it's simply a human decision. A human decision that I can consciously make of whether anger is the primary response or a secondary emotion, but it takes me being in control of my emotions and not my emotions being in control of me. And some of you, you've already decided, oh, oh amen, okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting, they said Red Rocks, also y'all don't do that, so feel at home, thank you. Um, but it's funny, like, um, when you start thinking about it, a lot of us in the room, you're like, man, like, we talked about comparison last week. That was for everybody. And, like, we talked about addiction, and that was for everybody. But anger, like, I don't get angry. Yeah, you do. Because there's two types of people in the room. It's all types of people, and it's this. You're either a screamer, which is what I tend to be. Uh, I like to say that I verbally process things, right? My tone doesn't sound hope, uh, helpful, but I'm trying to be, Right? Or, if you're not a screamer, you think you don't get angry. You're a steamer. What you do is you just steam on it. That's why when Paul was writing the early church, he put anger and bitterness in the same passage. Oh, the profundity of that passage is simply this, that anger that goes unaddressed becomes bitterness in our soul. Oh, some of you, you think that you're not an angry person because you never say it out loud. But, like, relationships with you is like checking out at CVS. You got all the receipts. On everything. I'm like, I said this one thing. You're talking about all of this, right? All of us deal with anger because it's a human emotion. But what we have to navigate this weekend is how do I not just live big mad? Because if I live big mad, it's going to result in big problems, big consequences. We see this in the first half of Scripture known as the Old Testament. There's this man named Moses. And Moses is handpicked by God to be this liberator of people. He's the leader of the Hebrew people that will become the Israelites, that will one day become the nation of Israel. So Moses is the primary guy. And Moses has this moment in Numbers chapter 20. In verse 11 and 12, what we see is that Moses gets big mad. It starts in verse 10. It says, he, Moses, and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Uh, context clue, not a salutation of greetings and peace, right? Moses is big mad. Here's the reason why he is frustrated with a group of people who have griped and complained. He says, must we bring this water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm, struck the rock twice, and water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy 
in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring them into this land that I am giving them. Moses gets big mad, makes one big decision that costs him a big promise that God had for him. Maybe as we talk about this passage, you've felt the effects of a leader who's gotten big mad or big angry in your life, who lashed out, said something wrong, and you're like, it's exactly right. Get him, God. That is exactly what needs to happen. Like, cancel him. He's done. He got mad. He was calling them rebels. He called them a name. He hit the rock, not just once, but twice. Done. Cancel Moses. Or maybe you're in the room and you go like, I don't know, bro. Like, that seems kind of harsh. Well, let me give you a little bit of more of a biography and see if we can understand Moses and how he arrives at this emotional decision, okay? First of all, you have to know that Moses, as a child, barely escaped genocide. He barely escapes genocide from the Egyptian people. He's put in a basket. He's put in a river. He floats downstream. He's raised in the house of the oppressor. The people who are trying to murder him now raise him. So he never looks like the people that he's surrounded by. He always knows that he's different, that he stands out, that he'll never measure up and he'll never blend in. Moses, one day, because of this emotion of anger, sees an Egyptian master beating someone who looks like him. He acts out in anger and he murders the slave master. He flees for his own life and runs out into this wilderness area. And there, God finds Moses and says to Moses on the hills of these bad decisions of being big mad, hey, Moses, I want you to be the liberator and my mouthpiece to liberate a group of people whom I love dearly from oppression and occupation. Now, what's wild about this is, number one, you go, okay, Moses is broken. I mean, he just murdered somebody, and yet God chooses him. And if you're here this weekend, a quick rabbit trail would simply be this. is to let us know that God chooses and uses broken people. Amen. Now, you may go like, well, why does God use broken people? I have got the best Alabama reason. You ready for this? Because it's the only type of people who exist. That's it. Like, if you read the Bible and you go, God uses broken people, like, why? Why are there... The it's all that's ever been in humanity. There was one person who wasn't broken, who was made broken for us, and that was Jesus. Everybody who's ever taken a breath before that has been broken. Number two, God speaks to Moses and says, I want you to be my mouthpiece. But Moses has a deficiency, an insecurity, a weakness. It's a speech. He has a speech impediment and a stutter, and that's who God picks to be the mouthpiece. Moses says, God, I can't do it. And God says, yes, I choose you. I'm going to use you. Tell them that I am sent you. And Moses goes back to Egypt. He helps liberate this group of people. God shows his power strong, leads them out of oppression, gets to this body of water and tells Moses to raise his staff. He does. The body of water, known as the Red Sea, splits in two, and they walk across on dry ground. Moses is this liberator, this chosen person. But he's encountered a lot of opposition, a lot of difficulty, a lot of pain, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of human emotions. They get across the Red Sea, and they get into this wilderness season between oppression and promised land. And there, Moses begins to encounter two things that define the reason he's experiencing the anger that we just talked about. In verse 1, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Now... They led the group of people in this desert of Zin. This is near Kadesh, the city. And there, Miriam died. You can highlight that in the hallways of your mind or circle it on your 
paper today, but I want this name to mean something to us because this is not just one person amongst a whole group of people. Miriam was Moses' sister. Miriam was someone who have, have filled the matriarchal role of his life when his mother had passed. Miriam was the one that when they crossed through the Red Sea, she wrote a song about liberation and God's goodness, and now she's died. We know in this day and age that Moses is likely experiencing the seven stages of grief. He's gonna have to have time to process. This is where a great community would surround him and go, Moses, we're with you. We're sorry that you're going through this. Sorry that you're going through this difficult time. We can't imagine the pain you're feeling because I'm from the South. We're gonna bake you a casserole. Like we're gonna do something to take care of you, right? What happens in the next verse should be so confusing to us. Moses experiences pain in verse one. The very next sentence says this, now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. This word opposition, broken down, is to revolt or overturn. Wait, you're thirsty. He's grieving. And in his most difficult time, you say, we don't have what we want, we're gonna overthrow you. Moses has not had the time to even process his own human grief or emotions. And now they're going, no, 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 we're thirsty, our mouth's dry. And Moses is dealing with a soul dry. And he's trying to reconcile this. Maybe you wanted to cancel Moses before and now maybe you have empathy and compassion for Moses. Isn't it interesting when we get a little bit more of someone's story, the closer you get, the more compassion rises. And while I have compassion for Moses, I need us to understand that reasons don't remove responsibility. Reasons don't remove responsibility. Now because you have background on Moses and you want to let him off the hook and go, wait, 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 God, he has a reason to be mad. No, he still doesn't have the right to be angry and to sin. Several years ago, I remember my wife lovingly looked at me and said, babe, you're gonna have to unpack some of these things that are making you angry. Like, it's like being on a roller coaster. It's like, what do you mean? She's like, babe, like that person got over in front of you in traffic. You waved number one with the wrong finger. Like, you're so mad. I started unpacking it with some counselors and psychologists, community, some pastors, some friends. I started going all the way back. I remember the first time that I felt different, uh, first grade, first half of first grade. I remember when my friends would go to like recess and they would do the fun stuff, I would get pulled out into another classroom and they would put these headphones on my ears and then they would give me this list of words to read. I, I didn't know then what was happening. Now what I know is, is that I was having an issue with speech and um, my brain was going really fast. Like, I don't just have ADD, I have like ADD and 4K is what I have, right? <laughs> and then I also had like something wrong between my ears and my mouth. That's why um, even today, like several times you've noticed already, like, wait, it sounds like his, his tongue's too big for his mouth, maybe, but also it's just this impediment or this weakness in my life. When first grade, I knew that that weakness, that glitch made me different. And because it made me different, I was like, man, I, I don't know what this is, but I need to overcompensate for it. And so by fourth grade, what I had learned is I had learned how to like run a room. Like I could, I could own a teacher real quick, right? And um, by fourth grade, it's like I, I was trying to be funny and blend in and overcompensate a little bit and become the class clown because I just wanted people to like me and I knew I didn't want to be alone anymore. And by fourth grade, I ended up in this one teacher's classroom and I'll remove the name to protect the guilty. But um, 
I remember we used to have to pull cards, and, and we did this thing where you pull, like, green, yellow, red. Did any of y'all pull cards? Okay, bet. All right. Um, well, we pulled green, yellow, red. That was most kids. Mine was, like, green, yellow, blue, teal, turquoise, chartreuse, right? I got to red, and when I got to red, I'll never forget that teacher was angry, looked at me and said, James Powell, you talk too much. You'll never amount to anything. I was so mad at Miss Langner that day. <laughs> Ooh. Now, we kind of think about that, and you go, James, if you're big mad around 30 about what happened in first and fourth grade, my man, like, get a nap, get some help, right? But that was just the tip of the iceberg for the season that I was going to walk through. Around the ages of 10 to 12, I started encountering uh, verbal, emotional, physical abuse with the secret abuse that nobody knew about except the hands of the person that did it. As I began to experience sexual abuse inside of a church. That went on for a couple years. And because of that, I didn't have the words and the vocabulary that I have today. Things like depression or anxiety or isolation. All I had then was discardable. I was like, man, since first grade, my glitch means I'm different and I'm broken and I'm messed up. In fourth grade, I'm not going to amount to anything, so kind of hope's gone. 10 to 12 I'm not worth human love. How much more can I believe in this God I can't see in his love? Because some of the people who claim to believe in that actually hurt me the worst. Like, man, I'm done with this stuff. I was so broken. I decided at that point in my life, I was so angry. I had so much rage in my life. I was like, man, I will never let somebody take advantage of me or I'll never experience injustice again. I'll do whatever it takes. If I got to burn a bridge or build a wall, I'll do whatever it takes. I could take somebody from 100 to zero like that because of the rage that was taken on in my life. I had reasons, but it couldn't remove responsibility. By the age of 17, I had ended up uh, living in the back of my Ford Explorer, abusing alcohol and prescription drugs. Um, I tried to couch surf amongst friends and blend in and fake it amongst family, but I was just broken. I'd already taken multiple attempts in my own life at that point. At that point, I was, I was done. I was ready to give up hope. I remember one night, somebody knocked on the window of that Ford Explorer, a guy named Neil, and Neil goes, hey, James, we finished our attic space. We want you to move in with us. Like, come on, you can be a part of our family. We're going to help you get a fresh start. And I was like, man, no, nah, fam, I'm good. And he's like, clearly not, right? <laughs> I moved in with him, and I'll never forget him telling me, he's like, James, there's no plan B with God. Because I had just determined that at the best, I was getting like plan C or D for my life because of all the decisions, because of all the anger and all the rage. He's like, no, James, God always has grace and a plan for your life. I moved in with him and began to process some of those human emotions. Um, I got into college. I determined there's something I'd never be. I'd never be a pastor. Guarantee I'm not going to do that. You win. Um, <laughs> so I go to college. I meet with a financial advisor. I'm like, what can I do to make money? And they said accounting. I didn't realize that's like the first profession in the catalog, A. Like, here we go. I did it for a semester. I came back. I was like, we got a problem. Or what is that? I'm like, math. <laughs> Went to nursing school and did RN school for a year. Problem, guess what it was? Talk to people way too long. They're like, you need to move to the next person. I'm like, well, I want to know about their brother, sister's, cousin's issue that they're going through. 
I decided to go to film school and learn in the back lot of Universal Studios for a little bit. I wanted to tell a story because my story needed to be told, so I'd tell other people's story. But then I had a problem. The problem was this. If your story was broken, I had no hope for you to turn around. It was just left undone. I said, God, what do you want to do? And God began to steer me through different decisions and, and navigating me, helping me arrive at a place where he's like, James, I have a path and a purpose for your life. But it took my wife bringing up the conversation about anger to remind me of some of the things that I started a while back. And it was a decision to know this, that how you handle stress will determine your now and your next. All of us are gonna have times where stress hits our life. Jesus said, famously, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. There's gonna be stress, there's gonna be tension, there's gonna be trouble in our lives. So what do we do? This weekend, I wanna give you just three short points this weekend on how to rise above rage. How do you rise above rage and put anger back in its secondary place where it can actually serve you and you're not left a slave to it? The first point is this this weekend is stop listening to your critics and start listening to your creator. Stop listening to your critics and start listening to your creator. I'm telling you, people love to critique anything. Anything, you don't believe me? Go home, get on Amazon. Pick your favorite product. <laughs> Click one-star review. Everybody has something to say about something, and Moses is encountering the same issue. In, in verse 3, so verse 1, his sister dies. Verse 2, they're thirsty. Verse 3, they quarrel and argue with Moses and said, if we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness and we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? There's no grain, figs, grapevines, pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Quick rabbit trail. If you're new to church and new to faith, the enemy will always paint a more beautiful picture about your past than is actually true in reality. They say there's no grapevines or pomegranates. There's also no pain of slavery, murder, or beatings. So if you're thinking like, man, I miss like fun Friday nights. Like we used to just have so much fun with the boys. Bro, you were hungover till Monday morning. Like it was not that fun. It was a painful experience, but the enemy will highlight one experience to get you to trade your freedom. And so they're remembering that stuff. And they keep accusing Moses, why did you? Why did you? In the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, God declares that he is the one who will bring them out of bondage and slavery. But Moses listens to his critics so long that they get control. They get control of his life. I want to prove to you this weekend, I decided since I was coming to the most educated city in the South that I would do some research. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so I decided, what are some things there's no way people could critique? For instance, the seven wonders of the world, okay? There's no way people could critique that. Now, for those of you who are historians, I'm not talking about the seven wonders of the ancient world. I'm talking about the seven wonders of the world according to Britannica, okay? So I looked up the Taj Mahal. What would one person say about the Taj Mahal? Better in the pictures. Another person said, the building is not as big or as elaborate as we thought. As if they were building it for them, right? Then I go, okay, what would be one of the greatest ones of the seven wonders of the world? It'd be the Great Wall of China, right? It, great's in the name, you can't critique it. One person said, frankly, boring. A wall, yes, great, debatable. <laughs> this person threw all their energy behind it. I frankly thought this was an incredible disappointment. Yes, this is a huge achievement in building and labor expenditure as well as incredible length. But when you get there, 
it is really a pile of sloppily laid bricks. <laughs> Signed, Karen, right? <laughs> no, that, that was who said it. Um, all right, now here's what I love. Did you hear all the laughter in the room? Did you experience the laughter? Great. Here was the whole point of that. I hope you get the same joy. Scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. I hope you have the same laughter the next time God creation, you is critiqued by somebody who doesn't understand it. Like, what would that be like? Like, if somebody's like, you're not funny, you're not that, that, you're, you know, you're five foot nine, you're a short king. Ah, yes, that's how God made me, right? Like, what would it like for us to go, like, laugh it off? Like, just do a remix on Taylor Swift and laugh, laugh it off. The next time somebody begins to critique God's creation. Scripture says very clearly, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. That he has a plan and a purpose for you. What if you didn't allow critics to have the loudest voice in your life? I'm going to give you the three critics that are going to speak loudest to us. The first one is culture. Now, I'm speaking to two different groups of people when I talk about this critic. I am speaking to those who are Jesus people that culture will try to get us to fit in when it comes to our beliefs. But I'm not just talking to Jesus people. I'm talking to all humanity. Culture's way of propagating products that they want you to buy is to make you feel like you don't fit in. You need the new jeans, you know, like, dude, I'm 37. Like, I can't keep up. Is it baggy jeans? Is it skinny jeans? Is it long jeans? Is it short jeans? I don't know. I just decided I don't care anymore. I'm at the 37 stage where I can just wear jeans and look short, and it's fine, right? <laughs> so if it's mullet or no mullet, rock it, brother. You know what I mean? Like, culture's always going to try to get us to fit in and blend in. What if this week you just decided, like, I'm a masterpiece, and God created desires and creativity inside of me. I'm going to lean into that. And if you like it, I love it. If you don't, like, love me, lump me, bump me, jump me, I'm going to keep moving, right? Like, I'm going to just be who God created me to be. The second group would be community. This is a hard one for us because community may be our family, Maybe parents that you didn't have the career that they thought you should have, and maybe friends that you don't make the money they think you should make, you don't drive the car that they think you should drive. Most often, this community that I want to reference that you don't feel like you're living up to their expectations is the invisible community that lives on the bleachers of your mind. It's the person who made fun of you in kindergarten. It's Andy. Andy made fun of you in kindergarten for peeing in your pants. You've been pee pants, Paul. Your whole life, in your mind. You're 32. Nobody knows that. But every once in a while, when you get ready to get a promotion or get a new job, you think about Andy. You're like, I'm going to show you, Andy. I'm getting a new job. I'm getting a promotion. You get so upset. Andy is 32 now, too. He grew. He evolved emotionally. Andy would love to tell you he's sorry. He's not still a kindergartner on the bleacher of your mind. But we build this invisible community that creates false expectations that we will never live up to because they're not real and they're not from God. What if today you clear the bleachers? You go, I'm not gonna listen to that critic anymore. Number three would be self. That's the voice the enemy most likes to mask his voice with. You're a fraud. If you're new to Jesus, one of the temptations, the enemy will try to talk to you. Like you, 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 you'll go, okay, I'm gonna show up on a Sunday morning. I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna read my Bible. And then you'll feel like, I just don't feel like it, so I must be fake. No, faith is not lived out or confirmed by our feelings. Feelings are fleeting. Feelings are flawed. Don't let the enemy talk you out of something that God wants you into. 
So what do you do with the critics this week? You put on some noise cancellation. You're like, I'm going to cancel out some of this noise. How am I going to do it? I'm going to remember what God says about me. The best way to do that is to get into your scriptures. Number two is this. we got to deal with anger before we attack. Deal with anger before you attack. Notice I didn't say act, right? Because it's tough to act out of anger when you don't understand its proper position. If anger is the driving emotion behind my decision, it leaves me in a place where I'm going to attack the person instead of address the issue. Moses comes to this moment. They're frustrated. They're upset. And it says in Numbers chapter 20, verse 6, five verses after the death of his sister, four verses after them being thirsty, Moses and Aaron went to the, from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. This is the place where they would meet with God. Moses' process has always been problem, God's presence, precise obedience. That's a great pattern. In this moment, he goes to the presence of God. In verse number seven, the Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together and speak. So help me out. I know, I know it's 11. What, what to the rock? Speak, speak to the rock. Now that's the issue because do you remember what Moses' greatest weakness was? His speech. His speech impediment. And now, wait, God is trying to address the attack of those people. They said, why did you bring us out? What God wants to do through Moses is say, in your weakness, I'll show myself strong. So they're accusing you of bringing them into the wilderness. I'll use the weakest part of your life to show my power and strength, and then they will recognize that you're leading on my behalf. Wait, God is always doing something behind the scenes that we don't always understand. What did the enemy try to do in my life? Make my mouth the glitch in first grade. Make my mouth and my speech the issue in fourth grade. Make me hate church people and church when I was 10 to 12 years old. Why? Because God had a strategy and purpose in my life that the enemy was trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give me life and life to the full. Jesus knew that what he would do is redeem and restore all of that. What he wanted to do is not just use me in a profession that I chose to make money. No, what it took was me surrendering my story back to God. And going, wait, God, you want to use the thing that makes me nervous the most. You want to use the thing that I get so uncomfortable, like when I'm speaking like I am now and my brain's working faster than my mouth and I like get hung up on a word and you see it happen, I get so sweaty. Like it's, it's awful. But I surrender my life because I go, God, if you can speak through weakness and show your strength, I will go to whoever I can, wherever I can, and say, hey, God can use a broken, messed up boy full of rage that a life surrendered is all God's looking for. He is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people willing to give their weakness so he can make himself strong. That's the weakness. The weakness. The weakness is a gift. But Moses is angry, and because Moses is angry, he leaves, he goes out, he says, listen, you rebels, and he strikes a rock twice. He's like, nah, I'm done with this. And that's when he gets big mad. I, I thought if I was going to come to Red Rocks Austin, there's no way I could come to Red Rocks Austin and not do my best, Doug Weckman. So I decided this weekend I would give you an acronym for how to say with God. Y'all ready for this? All right, I want to give you this word, pause, this weekend. If Moses would have just paused, he could have addressed the problem. P is pause my feet and pause my heart. Pause my feet. For those of you who understand the Enneagram, you'd recognize that there was one Enneagram type that loves to run to conflict. It's known as the Enneagram. Yeah, the eight. Yeah, we're here. Um, and the Enneagram eight, we're the type of person that if you're in a crowded room and your friend gets brushed on the shoulder by your, like somebody you don't know and they don't say excuse me, like hello, 
excuse you, right? You're ready to go. You need to pause your feet. You need to pause your feet sometimes. But others of us in conflict, we let our heart retreat. We decide I'm going to detach from it. I'm going to build a wall. We've got to pause our heart. A, if you pause long enough, you can ask God for patience. If I can get a little bit of patience in my life, I can see that you're a beautiful creation that God made. Yeah, you're broken, and your brokenness is frustrating me, but I'm broken too, and if God has a plan for me, he has a plan for you. You, you gotta understand what's happening with inside of you. What I had to do was what my wife asked, babe, you've gotta unpack some things so you can understand what's happening in you. As I begin to unpack and I begin to understand, then I can begin to go, okay, God, let's talk about this thing. Would you help heal some wounds that only you can? It's not about willpower. Listen, every person in the room that you think today, if you just had a little bit more willpower, you could get over something. At least from my experience, willpower to get over something doesn't work in my life. God's power to get through something has been the only thing that's been helpful. If you can get to you, you're going to have to repeat it over and over again. You're going to go a layer, a layer, a layer. But it's going to lead you to S, which is what? Stay with God. Stay close to God. Sometimes you just got to stay there. You're like, how long should I pray? How long should I listen to worship music? Until you don't want to cuss them out or punch them. Like, that's how long you stay there, right? Like, it's really hard for me to go out and yell at you if I'm like, he has good plans for me and you, right? Stay. Because if you can stay close to God, then E, you'll expect God to act. Moses stopped expecting God to act, and he tried to do his own thing in his own power. Listen. It's not about us always standing up for ourselves. Listen, as somebody who was like, I was treated unjustly, I felt taken advantage of, what I thought I had to do the rest of my life was stand up for myself, and I started breaking the wrong relationships because I was big mad. I had to get close enough to God to experience his big love. Three is simply this, choose devotion over the emotion. Choose devotion over the emotion. We've got to put it in its rightful spot. There was that speech thing that I told you about. See, then I tell you about it, and then it happens, and I go, oh. Every time, you go back and you re-unpack. Choose devotion over emotion. What I feel often when I stutter or my speech messes up is I get afraid, and then I'm like, I don't want to look at you guys. I just, like, want to look at the blinding lights. But I have to remember that I submitted my life to God, and then if he called me to do this, then I have to submit emotions of fear anxiety, and anger back to him. What would it look like for you to submit those emotions? See, Moses was God's guy. God had chosen him, was using him, and yet he got so angry, he missed out on the promise. I wanna give you something this weekend that's just a pathway on how to process your emotions this week, okay? It's this, if we submit emotion to devotion, so if we go upward with this, we submit emotion to devotion, it means God, I'm devoted to you over my own feelings, my faith in God is saying I surrender my emotions and feelings. As I do that, that's going to give me a direction for my life. What is that? God, I'm going to serve your will, but I'm also going to do it your way. Right? God's calling for your life is not just a career. It's also a calling for how we steward relationships and our internal emotions. So when I submit my emotions to devotion, it gives me a direction. That decision then helps lead me to a destiny. If I don't do that, and this is the most Dr. Seuss thing you're going to hear all year at Red Rocks. If you don't do that, it becomes emotion, erosion, explosion. You're like, dude, that's the only three E words you could find that sound like that. 
I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, emotion, erosion, explosion. Like, I hope you say it in your head. Would you say it in your head? Not a lot. Emotion, erosion, explosion. Emotion, erosion, explosion. Here's why. There's this thing called neuroplasticity where you rewire and refire. And what I'm hoping is that through the power of God's word and the transforming of our minds this weekend, the next time you get really angry, instead of thinking that you're standing up for yourself or instead of thinking like when you want to attack that person or say that thing that you know is going to negatively affect that other individual whom God loves, what I'm praying is is that you're going to see them as God's creation and you're going to be reminded of this. When emotions lead, it erodes my soul. When emotions are the driving force, I'm like a city with broken down walls is what scripture says. I'm open to the attack of the enemy to still kill and destroy, which then begins to explode the relationships in my life. Emotion, erosion, explosion, or I submit the emotion to God and say, God, I'm devoted to you. You have a plan and a purpose for my life. Here's the issue I have in this passage. We read this passage. God has picked Moses. Moses murdered a man one time and God picked him. Then Moses strikes a rock and God's like, yeah, sorry, fam, you're out. I'm like, what? I'm like, God, that's pretty harsh. Like, you still gave those people who were like brutal, you gave them water? Yeah, several years ago, I was struggling with this passage and God brought me back to it and he was like, look again. I was like, God, I've looked. Like Moses, end of the story, Old Testament, gone. You know, he's the OTOG, but he's not in the New Testament. He's like, look again. So I found this passage in Hebrews. It's like he gets in the hall of faith. Awesome, he gets the gold jacket, but God, he's still left out of the promised land. He's like, look again. I found this passage in Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus is doing signs, wonders, miracles. He's a parable teller. They're calling him rabbi, but he's never revealed himself as God, right? He's never been like, look, here I am, God in flesh and form. And in Matthew chapter 17, it says, after six days, Jesus took up with him his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain. Time out, guess where this mountain is? It's in the promised land. Yep, I found it geographically located in the land that God had promised them. It says he leads them up there, and that there he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light, and just then appeared before them. Wait a minute, Moses? Like, Moses and Elijah, and they're talking with Jesus of all the people that Jesus could have handpicked from the Old Testament. He picks the guy that was big mad. God, help me understand this. I feel like God spoke to me and said, James, this is my way of revealing that there's always another start with my son Jesus. There's always grace for your past, power for the present, a purpose for your future. Like, Moses' ending is not eternal. Friend, today, yeah, reasons don't remove responsibility, but there is grace for what God's called you to do. There's a purpose on your life. Ethan talked about how excited I am about life. I'm excited about life because I've never thought I'd be here. Not, not here on a stage. Here at 37, I never had a plan to live past 22. After trying to take my own life, I thought I was done. The reason I have hope is not because life's easy, not because things are always great, no. Because at every horrible moment of my life, there's been a God that helps me get back up again, that's restored relationships, he's made things right, he's redeemed, he's renewed, he's restored, and if he did it for me, he wants to do that for you this weekend. So here's the gateway to go from big mad to big love. 
It's one word, forgiveness. I've forgiven Ms. Langner. I've forgiven the family that abused me. I've forgiven the person in the church that abused me. Oh, not because I feel it. Listen, time out. Some of you are like, man, I don't feel like forgiving. I don't still feel like forgiving some people. Feeling has, uh, forgiveness has never been a feeling in my life. It's just a decision because of a devotion that I chose. I've chosen that if God so loved the world, he forgave, I have to. You gotta forgive some people. But recently working at Red Rocks, um, it's been a little difficult. <laughs> uh, I worked with this one guy. Um, he kind of gets on my nerves. Um, a little bit frustrated with him. Like, dude can be emotional. Um, he's a little bit picky about stuff, a little bit like OCD. And um, I mean, he's got a great family, but it's like the guy is just always on driving. And it's like, sometimes I want to like shake him and be like, hey, bro, chill. Like, take a breath. Like, breathe in, breathe out. Usa. You know, I want to help him, right? It's like, I want to look at him and go like, dude, align with God's word. Stop doing the same old things, the same old ways. Like, be made new in Christ Jesus. I got to forgive that guy because I worked with that guy at the last place I was at and the place before that. I've been living with that guy for 37 years. In church, sometimes we're good at getting to the place to forgive other people. We're bad at receiving that forgiveness for ourselves. Today, one of the people I still have to forgive is me. My big mad, my rage had broken relationships. I said some things, I did some things that I had to go back and apologize for, but the lie of the enemy will be guilt and shame to cause you to remove the forgiveness that God has brought to you. So today I got two groups of people in the room I wanna talk to. You're here today and for the first time or the first time in a long time, you wanna make a decision because of God's big love for you, despite your big problems, you wanna say, if you've got that kind of love, you get to lead. You can say yes to Jesus. Yes, you get to lead my life. You determine the direction of decisions from here on out. You choose that decision. I believe that today is the start of a brand new life for you. Number two, you're a Jesus person, but today you're going to be honest. The thing that's been killing you that you got to put death to do today is anger. The bad news is you can't do it on your own. The good news is God gave you a helper, his Holy Spirit, who lives inside of you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And this week, I want to pray that God's spirits can give you the power to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. All over this room, would you close your eyes, wherever you're watching from. You're with me and you say, James, I'm that first group. Today's my opportunity. I need to say yes to Jesus. I'm ready. I'm not gonna stand you up or call you out. It's not just a feeling. Today, it's making a decision of faith and it is gonna change the trajectory of your life. Are you ready? Right now, I'm asking you front to back, left to right, raise your hand right where you are and I'm gonna pray for you. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Come on, I see you. Yep, come on, I'll wait for you. I see you. Yes, sir. Come on, in the back, I see you. Middle, I see you. Come on, I'll wait. Come on. You're making the best decision you are ever gonna make for the rest of your life. You can lower your hands. I'm gonna ask the second group of people. You're Jesus people, but you know today that you've been allowing anger to rule and reign in your life. Today, you're choosing to put anger back in its rightful spot, submitted to the devotion that you have to God. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. You can lower your hands. God, thank you. 
Thank you that more than me seeing, you see, you see our response. It's not our hand raised that's magical. It's simply our outward expression of that inward decision to say yes to you. From our friends who are saying yes to you for the first time, for the first time in a long time, I pray that they would be reminded that you make all things new, that today, because of their belief that Jesus lived the perfect life, died the death we deserve, and was raised to new life to prove your great love for us, that their life has a brand new beginning. And for my friends that are your followers, your family, today, God, we need your help. We, we want to do it on our own, but we know we can't. Today is about surrendering and declaring our dependency on you. We need your spirit. This week, would you help us? As we make a decision today to determine that we're devoted to you, would your Holy Spirit lead God and direct our emotions, put them in the rightful place, prioritize beneath your lordship? I thank you for this church. God, you know for that broken boy from Alabama, I needed a place that was real, authentic, accepted broken people, imperfect people pursuing you. So I thank you for our pastors, Sean and Jill Johnson. I thank you for Doug and Sam and for Ryan and Ethan. I thank you for what they're doing here. God, this community that we have, I pray, God, that we wouldn't keep it here, that we would be containers of your hope. And this week, we would take Red Rocks into all of Austin, where we work, where we go to school, at the gym, at the job, at places we eat. We would be your tangible, visible proof that there's a God who loves. Thanks for your big love. We pray all these things. In the name above every name, the name of our hope and liberating King, in Jesus' name, amen.